all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. <clears throat> that, was a, that was a good one. Thanks. <laughs> we have reached the end. Yes, we have. Of our 100th episode series on HIV and AIDS. Yes. And we've already learned, even though it's a very popular topic right now, uh-huh. which we also did a four-parter on. Oh, yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. HBO stole our idea, I believe. <laughs> oh, yes, because we're the first people to ever talk about Chernobyl. I, I believe yeah. we are, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we were the people with the new information. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, getting through a four-parter, I remember doing that now, and it was just like, is this ever going to end? It was so, long. So I think three is a little more appropriate. Three is better. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I, th- I, I think this- a, I think a three is the maximum you'll ever hear from us at this point. I'm with you. I think this could have gone four parts, but yeah, oh, then I would have gotten sick of it. This could go fifty parts. Oh yes. if you want it to. Oh yes. you know, it's it, just it's a so, huge topic. Yeah. Of course, because this is also such a big topic. There's so much stuff that we don't cover. Oh yes, and there's plenty of stuff out there for. Yeah. For yourself to go research if exactly. you want to. Exactly. So, exactly. We're just doing the broad strokes, basically. Right. Right. What are you drinking today? I am drinking Bombshells. Let me make sure I get the name right. Bombshell Brewery out of uh, Holly Springs, Holly near Springs, Raleigh here. NC. Mango and Fuego, and it is fucking good. So it's mango, it's pineapple, and habanero? And habanero. Okay. Let me As a give pale that ale. a try. It's oh, good. Uh, it's a pale ale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You yeah. like you like fruit and beer. Yes, I, well, I like fruit and beer when it's well, sour. The, the habanero in there too. You didn't taste that at all. No, the habanero, not yeah. particularly. I did. Also, it's a little warm. It is. Yeah. That sucks. But anyway, yeah. I am having the. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't suck as much as having HIV or AIDS, but... Oh, well, that's true. (laughs) Um, This is from Commonwealth Brewing Company, which I've discovered recently has a lot of good sours. Out of Virginia Beach, Virginia. Yeah, so a regional beer. Um, And this is Mano del Puma. We both have... um, Hand is what... Manos is hands, so Mano del Puma. Maybe a puma's paws? Is that what it means? I guess. I anyway, I, I never took Spanish. It's a blonde Mexican lager. It's a good lager. Mm. It, it tastes um, not generic. Here. Oh, and it's in the pharmacy koozie. Oh, yes. Because we visited pharmacy today. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to remember to, uh, to Insta some photos of yeah. what, we, what we have drank. Our pharmacy beers and our pharmacy koozie. Mm, you see what I mean? It's, yeah. just, it's, it's a good lager, but it's not yeah. like just... Not like Miller Lite. <laughs> <laughs> well, nothing can be like Miller Lite. I mean, let's you know, let's face facts here. <laughs> All right, are we ready to wrap up our three-part series? Yes. So initially, I was going to call this third part "Hope," and I decided not to. Um, our uh, loyal listener Emily uh, 
made a comment at some point about like, oh, I don't know about hope because, you know, shit's still going down with HIV. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Um, so that's not literally what she said, but, you know. Uh, so I, that was my paraphrasing. So I decided to call this treatment because that's really what this episode is about, that there is now effective treatment for HIV. So I wanted to talk about how that came about what it actually means today, and the pluses and minuses of where we are right now, because this is an ongoing epidemic or pandemic. So this is an ongoing disaster. Yeah, it literally has not stopped. As of this recording. But is, yeah. but is not in the stream of public consciousness that it used to be. Not in the same way and yeah. manner, and it doesn't still mean the same thing no, to have doesn't. an HIV diagnosis. Mm. So, yeah. So that's what we're going to be... Uh, Talking about today, the strides the medical community has made in fighting HIV as an actual virus and the fact that that has increased the social and cultural understanding surrounding the virus. Um, So so we're going to get into more medical and sciencey stuff. So here's hoping I pronounce everything. (laughs) We're going to start with the first antiretroviral. Oh, okay, okay. Very nice. Thank you. So... But so we were kind of we kind of ended last week. We talked episode. about that a little bit in the episode one. We hinted that we were going to get into yeah. treatment, yes. But we kind of covered way more about the culture sure. surrounding um, HIV uh, and the actual discovery of HIV as sure. a virus that caused AIDS. So, so by the end of 1986. 38,401 cases of AIDS had been reported to the World Health Organization by 85 different countries. That was just what was reported. Sure. Um, So what had been reported to authorities, what had been discovered, that obviously wasn't all the cases of it. Not to mention um, all of the people who had HIV and were unaware of it, or were aware of it, depending, because we're talking about AIDS. Yes. So the end stages of the virus. So most of the cases reported, so again, reporting was probably higher in certain areas than others, were in North and South America. That was 31,741 cases reported. And we know it was especially and is still especially rampant in Africa. So that this again, that's this is we're talking reported cases. So, in spite of the American government's hesitance to deal with HIV and AIDS head-on, thank you, Mr. Reagan, um, the World Health Organization did work to raise awareness by starting the Global Program on AIDS, and they declared December 1st World AIDS Day in 1988, which still goes on to this day every December 1st that comes around. Um, I didn't get into this history, but, you know, the Red Ribbon came about. Oh, okay. Amphar, oh, yeah. sure. et cetera. So, um, so as awareness yeah, wow, was... Wow, it's been a while since you've seen one of those. A the red, red ribbon. ribbon. I know. They used to be... Remember, like, seen, actors used to, used to wear them? everywhere. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, again, yeah. like, awareness of this it's stuff sort of ebbs and flows, Went by right? the wayside a little bit. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of bit, a lot actually. Of it. So, as awareness was spreading... Um, about the mechanism and the mechanisms between HIV and AIDS were better understood. The medical and scientific communities were working on research to try and figure out the best way to go about treating or ideally curing or, you know, um, developing a vaccine for against HIV. So 
Um, And this is still in spite of the fact that HIV and AIDS research was still woefully underfunded in the U.S. Um, In 1987, the budget for HIV research was still under a billion dollars. Uh, by uh, 1989, it had more than doubled. It was up to 2.32 billion, and it just has gone up from there, like exponentially. But researchers all over the world were still working. Like you know, that's what scientists do. They try to figure out, especially medical researchers, they try to figure out like how to help people, which is amazing. Scientists are kind of the best. And <laughs> work on really important you're, you're, shit. You're simply the best. <laughs> Better, Better than all the rest. Yes. <laughs> and uh, they're a lot smarter than anyone ever gives them credit for. You know, like, oh, well, I don't think climate change is real because I'm an idiot. Scientists be damned, you know. Anyway. Uh, in 1983, a group of medical researchers at the National Cancer Institute, or mm-hmm. NCI, here in the States, started a program to develop therapies for HIV and AIDS. So it was a specific, like, deliberate attempt, let's figure this out. So let's research this and see what we can come they up with. They had to. They're, they had to come up with some sort of process to, all right, let's figure out how to keep people alive. Right. You know, uh, like, either... We'll, we'll get to the cure eventually, but for in the meantime... Or both. Yes. Like, we need true. to do something. We yeah. either need to be able to help people with AIDS. Right. We need to stop HIV. We need to treat HIV. We need to cure HIV. And we need to vaccinate against it. We need to do something. There, there was a lot of avenues to go down. In 1984, a vi- virologist named... Best name? I believe it's called a virologist. Virologist? Mm -hmm. You said said virologist. Well, it's virus, so it's a virologist. (laughs) I'm just being being an idiot. I believe it is pronounced virologist, though. Virologist? Yes. We'll let Emily have the final say in that. Anyway, his name was Marty St. Clair. Oh, nice. Which reminds me of Corky St. Claire, I think his name was in um, Waiting for Guffman, Christopher Guest's character. Anyway, that was a super obscure reference, but Waiting for Guffman you, you is mean, hilarious. You mean the blockbuster hit, Waiting for Guffman? No. <laughs> no, Christopher Guest film is a blockbuster hit, but no. they're great. They're just great. Sometimes. Anyway, so Marty St. Clair was working... <laughs> was working at a private independent biomedical research foundation called the Burroughs Welcome Fund. Guess where the Burrow Welcomes Fund is located? I'm not sure. Research Triangle Park. Is it really? North Carolina. No shit. I was was really going to say, the the first thing that came to my mind was like Copenhagen or like something like that. Burroughs Welcome kind of sounds like, yeah. Yeah. No, it literally. No shit. Oh, yeah. It's like right down the road. A lot of AIDS true. and it's HIV a, research, well, groundbreaking happened literally just down the road from us. Well, medical research is one of the biggest fields in this area. Absolutely. It's Pharmaceuticals every, everywhere. are yeah. huge. Uh, Duke University is a major medical center the world over, you mm-hmm. know. So, so we're better. So than, absolutely. We're better than everybody listening. <laughs> um, we're still in America and we're in the South. So no, we're not. Sorry. We're a step up. From what? Messina. <laughs> Actually, we're like 10 steps up from Messina. Who am I kidding? Poor Messina. There are pockets of America that are in good shape. Fortunately, we live in one of them. <laughs> that's true. That's true. We were relatively impervious to the um, recession. Yeah, it didn't really. Didn't. 
Horrible it happened effects. for people in that industry for sure. Yes, but the cranes and the buildings didn't stop. Like, yeah, no, they we kept going. Continued to develop absolutely yeah. right. Yep. So Marty St. Clair started and helmed a program at uh, Burroughs Welcome here in RTP specifically to work on anti-retroviral drugs. So we remember that um, HIV is a retrovirus, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about yes. that. It's a type of retro, uh, type of lentivirus called a retrovirus. And so an anti-retroviral drug would obviously be a drug that fights against retroviruses. That, so. That's what my, I mentioned mentioned him in the first episode, that's what my sister's college boyfriend was oh, doing. He was working on... Cancer specifically, yes. right? But still... But it fell within the these parameters yeah. too. Yeah. Well, the National Cancer Institute was yes. doing a lot of work on that. I so yeah. I think that's, that's who That's kind of where it started. I think that's what he was doing and he was doing... Like some sort of research in his undergrad or something? There's a different term for it. Thesis? Yes, thank you. Was he getting a PhD or something? Yes. Mm. Yeah. Gotcha. He was going to uh, McGill in Montreal. Okay. That's where he went to school. Okay. So, uh, more specifically, they were working on antiretroviral drugs that would stop HIV from self-replicating. Right? So, like, Which stop is, it from hijacking yes. that process in healthy cells. Which is, like, the whole goal. Exactly. Like, that's how it spreads inside a person. So, they homed in on a specific mechanism of self-replication called reverse transcriptase. Sure. Okay. So, so we remember... Oh, I know exactly what that is. <laughs> we remember... <laughs> HIV like invades a cell, mm-hmm. hijacks it its over. RNA and DNA, and then replicates yep. from there. Right? It, it's not its own cell. It has no. to take over a host cell. Is the idea? So uh, a reverse transcript transcriptase inhibitor, an RTI, inhibits yeah. or stops or prevents that no, replication from happening. Know your RTIs. People. <laughs> there we go. Or at least it slows the efforts. It may not necessarily stop it, but it can inhibit it, right? It's, it slows it, makes it harder for the virus to replicate. So of the different drugs that they tried out in their early tests in the lab, St. Clair's team concentrated on one that had been developed 20 years earlier. Okay. Literally, in 1964, um, that, was the, that was developed as a hopeful cancer treatment uh but that it, but it got shelved because it wasn't being effective for what they were looking exactly it had that but happens, how many times that happens does that all happen? the time exactly it's like well we're doing specific research on this thing and it's not working but then somebody finds another use for it and it's always like 10 or 20 years later it, right yeah. yeah exactly i mean so, that's i mean the well we'll use the fancy term called them boner pills oh those uh, were gotcha. originally used for blood heart heart disease oh that's right that was the initial goal Mm -hmm. of and people were like well no my heart's still shitty but man (laughs) like i'm ready to go yes i'm ready to go anytime why can i not it starts with a v viagra viagra yeah that was the first one now there's like 10 sure sure um so but that's but but yes viagra and pills like that were originally used for heart disease well Well, well, we're originally the concept was for heart disease. And some medications are still used what they call off-label, prescribed sure. off-label. For example, um, when I, so I've had uh, 
acne prone skin my like entire since I was like 12. Uh, it's gotten a lot better the older I've gotten, but it lasted a really long time, like well into my 20s. And when I got into my 20s, my doctor was like, well, what do you think about going on birth control regardless of whatever is going on in your sex life? It's not about that. It's about that it can help your hor- regulate your sure. hormones. So the whole thing was it's birth control pills. They're meant to be used for like, that's what they're, that's what they are um, approved for. Mm-hmm. However, if it's safe for you to take and it's going to help treat the thing that you're really trying to treat, that's off then, label then, prescription. Then, then yeah. go ahead. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, so, this uh, this this drug that they decided to home in one on was picked out by a chemist named Janet Rideout, and she picked a drug called Zidovudine or <laughs> Azadithymidine, otherwise known as, as a, AZT. Azadithymidine. 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 Okay. AZT. AZ, AZT. AZT is much better. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, whoever came up with that one. <laughs> so the Burroughs Welcome team sent AZT to the team at the National Cancer Cancer Institute saying, like, there's some promise in this. Can you guys work on developing it? Because you have the, the abilities, the know-how, the lab equipment, the everything else. We think this has promise. So it was a, a real collaborative effort. Um, so in 1985, the NCI team, the National Cancer Institute team, uh, found... The promise that the uh, Burroughs Welcome team found in AZT in the the lab in their own research. And so they actually started a phase one clinical trial right here in North Carolina at Duke University. So like the major breakthrough happened here. It's awesome. Yeah, this is basically like a commercial for the triangle area. It kind of is. Everything is awesome here. Emily does something in medicine. She needs to move. She here. needs to come here. Just, yeah. just move here. Yeah. She asked recently when we're coming to rescue her. Honey, come it, yeah, here. Yeah, just, just get your, yeah, just pack your shit. Like, it's it's the end of the school year. You're in medicine something. <laughs> some sort something, of medical something, shit. Something, something, You can get a job here. Come yeah. on. It's so much better here. So, then South Dakota. Sioux Falls. You can still get your um, iced coffees. Oh, my God. We, we absolutely. Legit. There's, I can. I will make you. There are iced literally. Coffee. There are literally three McDonald's like within a mile of here. <laughs> it's true. I'm not even joking. And they make good iced coffee, don't I? I've honestly never had one. That's oh, where you. I make you every morning. Oh, I thought you were talking about McDonald's. <laughs> no, you said. I you said I. Yes, yes. I, I caught that at the end. <laughs> yes, you do. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, AZT showed a lot of promise in this initial trial. It helped increase CD4 counts. So remember those T helper cells that yes, plummet? Yes, T cells, yes. Yeah. Uh, with HIV, well, those counts stay, were staying up or increasing in patients receiving AZT. Uh, and it, it even helped AIDS patients regain weight. So it was showing even promise in AIDS patients, people who had full-blown AIDS. St. Clair's team sort of piggybacked on the clinical trial with another trial at Burroughs Welcome, It was a double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized trial. So super rigorous, right? So um, double-blind means like the doctors don't know who's getting what, nor do the patients. It's everyone's kept in the dark so that no one's 
subconsciously or otherwise influencing the results. Sure. Placebo controlled, so they had a control group who was just getting a like nothing, basically zero treatment, and then people who were getting the treatment and randomized. So there was no like delineation over who was getting what. It was there was all essentially random. essentially they eliminated favoritism. Yes, they did all the shit you're supposed to do for a good study, basically. Yeah. The things we don't do anymore, all that much. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> good scientists do. do, yeah. So it was found to be, AZT was found to be so effective in the group that was given the drug versus the placebo group um, that they ended the trial early because they thought it was unfair and unethical to keep the placebo group. In other words, they're like, look, these patients are responding so well to AZT for us to deliberately not give it to these people is unethical. Sure. So yeah. they were like, okay, fuck it. We're done. Yeah, the this is so gone. clear. Yeah. Like you guys get this too. Cause this is, this is working. This is good. So Burroughs welcome went ahead and pushed for a patent on AZT and went through the FDA process, right? The food and drug administration here in the U S um, to get approval to put it on the market. Now, it usually takes a very long time to get a drug through the FDA, um, and for good reason, right? Because they're meant to you want protect it to, us. You want it to be a process. Yes. And you want uh, to make sure that it's this, safe and all This that is other a stuff. drug or a device that right. is meant to be used on human beings. It can, although I think it should be careful if it's on animals too, but anyway, um, and... and God, I just <laughs> went off on my little <laughs> vegan rant and lost my whole train of thought. Anyway, uh, so you want to make sure that you're not going to hurt people. It does more harm than good, right? Got to be careful of the side effects, other dangers. It's like a better safe than sorry approach, which makes sense. 99% of the time, it's good that it's a slow process. Yes, exactly. Except for a time like this. It's well, like, so... It's like we need to do something now. So in the case of AZT, the FDA was so aware of how basically there was nothing to treat AIDS and HIV. Like, just, just nothing. We had nothing better than palliative care. So they deliberately fast-tracked the approval of, of AZT. So a typical FDA approval process takes about 10 years. Wow. Yeah, I didn't like know it was a that decade. Long. I yeah. thought it was like four or five. No. I didn't know it was that long. No, it's like 10 years, yeah. Okay. For AZT, it was 25 months. So yeah, just I mean, about two years. That's still a long time. It's a long time but, in time, but it is twenty yes. percent of the average. Relative, time. relative. It's it it, it was fast. That was yes. fast. <laughs> yes, and it was a record for the fastest approval by FDA in recent history. So, like they they fast tracked this shit for just some drug that was sitting around for what was it like twenty, 20 years? years? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So AZT was approved for use in adults by the FDA on March 20th, 1987. It did go on to become approved for infants and children in 1990. Um, just took longer. It makes sense. They want to be a little more cautious sure. with children and infants. So. Because all the research they're doing is on adults. You can't. Right. Yes. You can't uh-huh. do this on children and infants. Yeah, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of shit surrounding clinical trials and like who they will and won't do them on. Right. Women are often left out, um, especially women of childbearing age, because they want to make sure they don't fuck up a pregnancy. Thanks, thalidomide. We, we we, I was just gonna say we did an episode <laughs> about that. That was like mm-hmm. one of our first episodes. Yeah. So the drug was distributed under Burroughs Welcome under the brand name Retrovir. 
Uh, so retro virus without the U.S. Retro beer. That sounds like a. It sounds like a model of a Corvette, like a package. A little bit like, like Corvair. Yes, yeah, so you get yeah. retro beer in, in, this, <laughs> in this package. And in its early days, it was generally prescribed to AIDS patients, sure. people who already had full blown AIDS, as opposed to HIV positive individuals. So. AZT was a huge breakthrough, but it was not a perfect drug. So, like just about every medicine out there, it does have side effects like nausea, vomiting, heartburn, headache, loss of appetite, sleeping problems, like some pretty big shit. Better than dying? Yes. However, it's still like not nothing. Um, high dosages can cause more serious issues like anemia. Damage to the liver, damage to the heart. So, like, some pretty hardcore stuff. Though, those effects are generally reversible if the doses are lowered. So, basically, it, like, has to be used in a certain level of moderation, I guess. So, nevertheless, these side effects were preferable to the horrible effects of AIDS. Remember, wasting opportunistic cancers, infections, pneumonia, sores, all sorts of horrible things. So, the drug was still a giant leap forward. Unfortunately, its number one drawback was its price tag. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. A year's worth of AZT at the time cost $8,000 to $10,000 a year. Adjusted for inflation. I was just going to ask. That is eighteen dollars to $23,000 a year. And if you're this sick... Pretty much not working. Well, right. You're probably... I mean... Especially if they were giving and, it to AIDS patients. And yeah. at this time, people aren't wanting you to work, really. There's still, yeah, like, there's still like yeah, a public uh-huh. scare. Concern about that, yeah. For good reason, because people just don't know yet. Mm-hmm. Like, we're still in a time where we right. don't know. Right. So where the fuck are you going to get? Yeah. Imagine it's like buying a new car every year. Every year. <laughs> yeah. Um, except it's help you not die. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's yeah. And we're going to get into the cost of HIV treatment in a bit. So we're going to get into all that. But let's keep going on the history front. We'll get into all of that in a bit. Okay. So as the 90s approached in the U.S., Reagan went bye-bye, finished his... He didn't die. That wasn't until later, unfortunately. But he finished his... (laughs) (laughs) He did get shot while in office. Yeah, he did. At least that happened. Wasn't that Squeaky From or whatever the fuck? I can't remember. Who, is that a Manson person? Yeah. I don't think it was that. It was something to like kill? that. I don't know. Somebody. No, it was the guy who liked Jodie Foster from Taxi Driver who shot yes. Reagan. Yes. yes. Okay, that's it. Uh, anyway. Well, he has. They all have three names, but I just yes, can't remember. Right? Like yes, right? Like Mark David Chapman <laughs> and John Wayne Gacy. Was it Mark David Chapman? No. Anyway. No, he was Lennon. Can... John Lennon. That's right. Okay. Yeah, that's who Mark David Chapman was. But anyway. Uh, yeah, I can't remember so. the Reagan either. <laughs> So Reagan finished his two terms as president. (laughs) He was succeeded by George H.W. Bush, a.k.a. Daddy Bush, or Bush Sr. So Bush Sr. isn't really known for doing much as far as HIV goes, but he did do something very important, not only for people living with HIV, but for a lot of different Americans, by signing into law the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990. I was going to say, that's like really the only good thing he did and in office. And to be fair, it was an amazingly good thing. Yes, it was. Not not amazing as in progressive. It's basically base, baseline stuff we should be doing anyway. But it's great that he 
was the one, like, good for him for signing it. That's, yeah. like, the one positive thing he has in his life. Well, I, right? I might have said this before on this pod. I mean, we've done so many episodes now. Oh, we're at episode 102. And companies like Random House send us books to review. <laughs> we'll get into that later. But uh, I think I've mentioned this before, but because of that act... The ADA. Um, mm-hmm. When Peter, when we were when he was building his... Your stepfather. Camp, mm-hmm. Yes. Um, he had to uh, make the door uh, wider. Because, oh, because, because of, of the that ADA. Act. Yes, yep. that's right. And I know that it probably seems like a pain in the ass to a lot of people who own small Never. buildings I mean, or he, whatever. He hadn't built it yet. So, okay, well, yeah. fair enough. Um, but that, you know, like, look, I don't know that a dis- disabled person is ever going to even come into this house or camp or whatever. But you know what? In case they do. it's Yes, it's important. So, so the act, the Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990, in addition to requiring reasonable accommodations for people with disabilities in the workplace mm-hmm. and accessibility in public areas, which obviously is amazingly important. Like, yes, we need to do that. Unfortunately, that was implemented. It extended protection against discrimination to those with disabilities as well as those living with HIV. So it extended anti-discrimination privileges to those with HIV. So it's like, look. I did not know it went there. Just because of your HIV status, that doesn't mean you can get denied a job. Well, and it tells you the state, not necessarily the state of mind of people where you'd have to put that in a bill. I know, right? Like, so people were going to be dickish enough to do that in the first place. Right. Yes. And people were. Yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. they're, yes. I mean, moms taking their kids out of schools, mm-hmm. like all mm-hmm. kinds of, you know. Yeah. But, but again, it's just, it's literally a pandemic. Yes. And nobody, it's still, at this point in the story, right. really fucking knows what to do. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah. Now, as an aside, uh, George W. Bush, baby Bush or Bush Jr., uh, he, he is the grandson of Prescott. Okay, but he's the son who, of H.W. Prescott um, made money from Nazis, by the okay, way. Okay, but not we're, not, we're not getting I know. Into, come on. It's the fun part, though. Anyway, G.W. signed into law an amendment to the ADA in 2008 that clarified and broadened the definition of disability in the Americans with Disability Act. So I'm kind of surprised by that, too. Well, there you go. That That's the thing. Like, I agree these are not good people. No, <laughs> not at all. However... Credit where it's due. Yes. Now, maybe they did it for horrible reasons, not hey, they did the most it. altruistic, but it got they did done. It. So anyway, unfortunately, balancing out these otherwise good actions, uh, Bush Sr. also said, quote, if the behavior you're using is prone to cause, cause AIDS, change the behavior, end quote. So yeah, he's, he's still a dick. How about... He's gone now, right? Or is he, it... He did, yes. He died a couple months ago. Okay, good. I, oh, that sounds horrible. I'm just like wishing people dead. No. Uh, he lived he was a lot. like a thousand years old. I, I believe he was 95. Barbara died first, right? She died like a year ago. Yeah. yeah. They, and then they he died. Followed. Yeah. They died not too far apart. That's pretty which, common for older people. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Um, because he was only president for four years, he kind of gets filed away the same way Jimmy Carter does. Hmm. But a lot of important things happened in those four years. Yeah, I mean, r- yeah. Really. Uh-huh. So. Yeah. 
Listen to the dollop episode on George H.W. Bush. That's right. Yeah, Especially, that was a good one. actually, only if you can't stand George H.W. Bush. Yeah. <laughs> or if you just want to know what he was really but like. But there are new tidbits in there, stuff that I never knew. Yeah. I was just like, really? And then I would look it up and, yes. Or, sure um, more importantly, listen to the one about John McCain. Anyway. That too. Listen to both of those. So, during the 90s, AIDS and HIV research continued. Now, more government dollars were put towards the research. By 1995, the U.S. budget for HIV research funding was $7.1 billion. So it had really increased yeah. from the days of less than a billion. In 1992, new protocols of using multiple drugs instead of just one, like instead of just AZT, which was known as monotherapy, like just using one drug, was introduced. So in 1995... Drug trials began using three drugs to attempt to control the viral load in patients, and that was colloquially known as the triple cocktail. So if you've ever heard okay. of the triple cocktail. It sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just kind of the nickname sure. for the idea I think of, they talked about that on the CNN documentary. Okay. The 80s that we watched. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so specifically, they used a protease inhibitor called indinavir and two reverse transcriptase inhibitors like AZT. So let's get into that. <laughs> let's get into uh, that. A protease inhibitor, and I think I'm pronouncing that right because I learned how to pronounce it on Queer as Folk. I hope, they were pron- <laughs> I hope Brian McKinney was pronouncing it correctly. Um, a protease inhibitor is a type of antiviral drug that stops viral replication by binding itself to proteases, thereby inhibiting them. And a protease is a kind of enzyme. So basically, it's still just working to stop replication, right? That's the main thing. Um, And the idea was that by combining different types of drugs, so you have a um, reverse transcriptase inhibitor, an RTI, which is what AZT is, and then you have something that works a little differently, a different mechanism, which is the protease inhibitor, that it kind of attacks from multiple sides was the idea. So it was this combining that was thought to be, okay, maybe this will work. Maybe this will be a little more effective. And it was found, yes, that's exactly what happened. It was found to be effective, and it was approved as a protocol, as a drug therapy in 1996. And this was wow. basically... Okay. Mm-hmm, The turning point at which an HIV infection stopped being a death sentence and started turning into a manageable chronic condition. Okay. So So 1996 is kind of the the year. Almost 25 years ago, yeah. Mm -hmm. I was 19. (laughs) Mid-90s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but this stuff is still, even going into the Mm mid-90s, AIDS and HIV is still on a lot... lot of people's minds. Yeah, absolutely. Not I agree. As much as like the mid 80s because there was so much We're moving out of the <clears throat> don't sit on a toilet seat era. Right. We're yeah. moving into an era of we have a lot more information mm-hmm. and now we actually have something to treat it. This is a post Ryan White Mm-hmm. Post yep. uh, Pablo, yes. yep. post Magic Johnson world. Pedro, not Pablo. Pedro. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> did I call him Pablo? You did. That's okay. Oh my God. I'm so racist. Pe- Pe- Pedro, I'm sorry. I'm, you messed up a name. It happens. Pedro Samora for people Pedro. who. Pedro. Yeah. I'm sorry, Pedro. I actually did, um, after we talked about him in the last episode, uh-huh. look up the. Because I remember. 
Because I used to watch The Real World. I think everybody did. Yeah, at some point. It was kind of interesting. But uh, they had a reunion special, I remember, after the London one came out. Which um, The London one was boring as fuck, and I didn't even yeah, really was. watch it. But that one lady, Jacinda Barrett, who became uh, an she actress, She did. Was yes, on she it, was yeah. on that one. Yeah. But, um, but when they did the had the San Francisco cast up there, they did a tribute because Pedro had already Pedro died. Pedro wasn't there, yeah. No, he'd he already died. He died like at the, during the airing of one of the episodes or something like no, that. No, 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 no. He died after oh. that. No, he died after that. Oh. Um, well, maybe that's an urban He legend. died, but not too long. Like within a year after mm-hmm. that show was done taping, he had died. Yeah. But they did a tribute for him and I remembered that and I was like, I want to go, it is on YouTube. No. Oh. Uh, you will either very much cry or almost cry like Aww. I did. Because it's, you realize he's fucking 22 he was so years young. old. He was so fucking young. It's, and doing speeches and all this he kind of stuff. He used the last years of his life at a super young age to be as active as possible yes. in the fight against And HIV. also people have to remember, this is pre-internet. There's yeah. no YouTube or anything no. like that. So you he's just have lit- to show he is, up. He's mm-hmm. literally on a television show yep. as a person living with AIDS, yep. which nobody ever saw before. Yep. And I think it helped. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we can share a bathroom. Right. Like, we can share right. a shower. Do we have to be kind of careful? Mm-hmm. A little? Of course. Well, you do know, you remember, but... um, did you ever see the show Life Goes On? I don't think so. It no. was like Patti Lapone played the mom. Kelly Martin. <laughs> I don't even know who Kelly who? Martin? Kelly Martin. No. She was on like ER later. She played on no, Christy. Anyway, she was like one of the kids. Anyway, it was a family show, whatever, you know, like showing a family with a couple of, a few kids and whatever, but it was remarkable for a couple of reasons. One was one of their kids, I think his name was Corky, <clears throat> um, had Corky Romano. No, not that Corky, um, had Down syndrome. So it was, uh, groundbreaking in that it showed a person with developmental disabilities as being a main character mm-hmm. with a life and interests and everything else. Um, which <laughs> sadly was groundbreaking then, but yeah, um, and still, people with Down syndrome are highly underrepresented in in media. But anyway, is that what the kid at Target has? Uh, cerebral so. palsy. Is that okay? I it's different. Yeah. It, I know. I'm it's different. Okay, that's okay. Um, You're you are correct. He does yeah. have cerebral palsy. Yeah, he said that. I yes, believe. he has. Or it was on one of his tattoos. I think. I might have asked him at some point. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, he's an, he's a nice guy. Uh, and then uh, the Kelly Martin's character had a boyfriend pay, played by Chad Lowe, Rob oh. Lowe's younger brother. Of, of the Lowe's. Of the Lowe's. <laughs> um, who was HIV positive. She knew it. I completely forgot Chad Lowe even existed. I know, right? <laughs> But he was, for but a while. he was like hanging in there for a little bit. Mm-hmm. He was, he was showing up here and there. But it was seen as like kind of a groundbreaking show in that it showed her a, a quote all American girl dating an HIV positive man. They kissed on the show and everything. So it was kind of like showing that um, or. Uh, uh, trying to break through that barrier of yeah, it's okay for you to kiss somebody. You're not going to catch AIDS or HIV from kissing somebody. It was like, it was like the Cosby Show in the '80s, just except without the well, uh, without a without, without a serial a, rape, without a serial rapist starring. Anyway, <laughs> back, anyway, back, back to the fun topic of yeah, HIV and AIDS. So now that a viable therapy was created, the triple cocktail, there was a lot of hope for people diagnosed with HIV. However. There was plenty of controversy in the medical community as to when and how 
to apply this new therapy. As with AZT, and of course any medication, as we mentioned, the triple cocktail has side effects. Just like anything well, sure. else, right? Yeah. Uh, they include fatigue, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, headache, flu-like symptoms, and insomnia. So that's not fun stuff. Also, one of the side effects is living. Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, yes. Yeah. That's why they decided that the positives outweighed the negatives. Yeah. No pun intended. But um, uh, those were mostly short-term side effects, sure. too. Like, you could get over it. It's like going on antidepressants or probably, something. You have short-term side right. effects, and then it, and after your body a while, adjusts. You probably, yes. Yeah, your body adjusts, say. exactly. Mm-hmm. Long-term side effects can include, unfortunately, kidney and liver problems, heart disease, diabetes, nerve damage, and osteoporosis. So, while these drugs are highly effective, far outweigh the risks of developing AIDS. Yes. So, you know, it's still way better. You'll take any of these over AIDS. Yes. Like, you'll take diarrhea over AIDS any day. And over dying. Yes. (laughs) You know, it's important to properly... Even liver cancer. Well, what what was the one cancer? Mm -hmm. Liver cancer. Uh, Yeah, I'll take that over AIDS, too. (laughs) Right? Yeah. So it was still important to properly figure out the best way to administer the triple cocktail and at what point in the virus's development to make it as effective as possible. Now that's the step we're on. Right. Okay, we know know what to use. In what range do we need to use them? when and how. Yes. Because um, if you're going to have to put up with this shit... Let's make it worth your while, like, and as effective as possible. So as therapy protocols are being developed, some medical professionals believed in what was called a hit hard, hit early approach. So in other words, someone who is newly infected would be like, bam, treated super aggressively in the early latency period to try to stop the virus. Like, okay, let's just kill, like, not kill it literally, but just stop it from replicating as early in the process as possible with hit it just with everything we've got. Now, while one can understand that this would seem to be a good idea, that approach includes some pretty significant risks, specifically of really intensifying the side effects, as well as, and this is the major part, developing drug resistance in the virus, which you definitely don't want, and which is a major Mm -hmm. concern in, in certain medications in HIV. So that was largely abandoned as a protocol. So, in fact, drug-resistant mutations in HIV were commonly seen during this period of the early to mid-90s. So as they're developing these treatments, they are seeing some drug resistance in the virus as well. The triple cocktail approach had to be refined into a more comprehensive combination therapy with multiple options of antiretrovirals. So it wasn't just like, it's always these three It's like, well, it could be one from this class, one from this class, one from this class of drugs, like kind of mix and match according to the needs of the individual and what they were reacting best to, basically. It became a more individualized approach, more or less. Um, But an approach nonetheless. At least least now we have a strategy to, to deal with this. So the combination approach is still used to this day, still typically in combinations of three, Three drugs from at least two different classes. So in other words, you wouldn't use like all three protease inhibitors or all three RTIs. Of course you wouldn't. <laughs> um, so two, at least two different classes of antiretrovirals um, because any any single retroviral has, like just using one is ineffective in the long term when fighting HIV. It really is the combination that has proven to be the most effective. And uh, some drug companies have developed just like a single pill. 
that sure. contains all the combinations. Sure. So all you have to do is take one and then you've got everything, which makes it easier for adherence, right? You're not taking a handful of pills or multiple times a day. Just take one. You're good to go. So the current guidelines per the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, which is pretty close to the international guidelines, like the WHO and such, is that antiretroviral therapy, ART, if I say ART, that's what I'm talking about, is recommended for all HIV-infected individuals to both help reduce the risk of the virus progressing to AIDS, as well as to reduce the risk of transmitting it to someone else. So, specifically, using antiretroviral therapy decreases the amount of HIV actually found in the blood and general general secretions. Genital secretions. (laughs) Generally, the genital secretions. So, so that's called the viral load. The amount of a virus, of this virus specifically, that is found in the blood or secretions. So... Uh, specifically, uh, uh, did it, uh, sorry, I just opened a 12% beer. I had one little sip. You have had only one And sip. I swear it just suddenly hit me. Okay. I had do, a sip do, of do. it too. It's, it's good. What, what are you drinking now, oh, by the way? Oh, so yes, we had a little break and I'm drinking Southern Pines Brewing Company. Southern Pines is a little south of here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Moscow Mule Ginger Lime Imperial Berliner Weiss. It's a 12% beer. Mm. And that's just ridiculous. So if we uh, <clears throat> if we record another banter sode, tonight might be a good night. Yay! That's true. We have all the, que- the all the cues for all the A's right here. So anyway. <clears throat> professional. Professional. So there was a study done in heterosexual couples, specifically heterosexual, so um, where one partner was HIV positive and one was HIV negative, right? So the study was supposed to last 10 years, an entire 10 years, with the couples divided into two groups, one who received antiretroviral therapy and one who didn't. But both groups received... HIV prevention, education, and were provided condoms. So it was, you know, they were still made aware of, like, how they could prevent transmitting HIV, etc. It's just that one group was given ART and one was not. Uh, The study was supposed to last 10 years, like I said, um, but they stopped it after less than two years. Again, because it was so clear that the couples receiving ART we're getting such an advantage. They're like, it's and unethical. Yes. It is unethical for us to keep going. So um, the results were announced in 2011. And the results were that there was a 96% reduction of risk of HIV transmission in the couples who were receiving antiretroviral therapy. So it was clearly advantageous. So ART is so effective now and the way it's administered, that it is typical for most people who are HIV positive, who are undergoing ART, um, and who have undergone ART for three to six months to end up having an undetectable viral load of mm. HIV. So that doesn't mean that a, an individual is cured. It doesn't mean that they do not have HIV or that they are HIV negative. It means the virus is still present, but it's in such low levels in their blood that it cannot be 
detected through typical sure. viral load testing. So in a partner study um, that was partnering the one from 2011, so kind of piggybacking on that, they followed 972 gay couples and 516 heterosexual couples with mixed HIV status. So you know, one partner had HIV, one did not. And the positive partners received ART, all of the positive partners. So it w- there wasn't a group that was not receiving therapy. They, they sure. all were. So <laughs> these, uh, to- the couples, let's see, 972 plus 516. So what is that? Like almost 1,500 couples, right? They had a total of 113,000 unprotected sexual encounters during this study. That's, that's quite a, quite a bit. <laughs> it is. Um, <clears throat> And amongst all so these of are, those... So these are all young people, too, probably. <laughs> probably. Uh, of all those encounters, they all got tested, all of the negative couples, or all of the negative partners in the couples. None of them had caught HIV. None of them has received okay. HIV. And uh, that when the, the positive partner had an undetectable viral load. So in other words, like... Okay, do it like rabbits, <laughs> but if your partner's positive but getting ART, you're negative. Like, this mm-hmm. is not, because of this, This you're not passing it on to your partner. So it was concluded that when an HIV-positive individual has an undetectable viral, low, viral load, their HIV is essentially not transmittable through sexual contact, which is obviously a huge deal. Oh, yeah. Especially for couples where one is positive and one is not. Oh, for society in general. Yes, absolutely. Now, a couple things that, a huge disclaimer here. One, any individual undergoing ART needs to be under the care of a proper, proper medical professional and must be strictly adhering to their therapy regimen, right? So this is sure. just to say. And two, unprotected sex can still lead to a shit ton of other stuff. Like yes. even if someone ha- is HIV positive but on ART, that doesn't mean that you can't get ha- uh, any n- number of STIs from them or that you can't pass any number of STIs onto them. Plus pregnancy if you're hetero and all that stuff. So just a couple points of order. There are still risks to oh, unprotected yeah. sex. Very important to know. So so another protocol that has been developed is known as pre-exposure prophylaxis, or PrEP is the, the little acronym for that. So PrEP is a combination of two drugs. Uh, <laughs> this will be fun. After. Here, let me take another sip of my drink. <laughs> I'm about to try to pronounce drug names. Tenofovir. <laughs> that sounds like a Lord of the Rings character. <laughs> Tenofovir. Mm. What was it? Is that Tenofovir? Yeah, Tenofovir. Yeah. T e n o f o v i r. Yes. Or, or in modern day, it could, it could very easily be a uh, uh, Game of Thrones character. <laughs> very, very possible. And amtricitabine or amtricitabine. Anyway, those two drugs combined are sold under the brand name Truvada. And so it's two antiretrovirals combined. So basically, it's like a mini form of ART, antiretroviral therapy. And as the name would suggest, PrEP 
pre-exposure prophylaxis is not used in HIV-positive individuals, but rather to prevent in the contraction of HIV. So you know what? So I only learned the word prophylaxis because my grandmother was a dental assistant for years. And I remember seeing like on dental bills or maybe it was like some presentation she was doing. Anyway, prophylaxis is what they call it when they clean your teeth, like dental prophylaxis, because it means they're trying to prevent cavity formation. So prophylaxis means prevention, Mm -hmm. essentially, like a medical intervention to prevent. (laughs) Did you know that, or am I just explaining something you already knew? No, no, no. Oh, okay, I, I, good, I good, good, that. good. So, PrEP, the protocol, is recommended for people at high risk for contracting HIV. So, that would mean, like, for example, people who are not in a sexually monogamous relationship, participate in unprotected sexual activity, potentially HIV part- positive partners, etc., as well as individuals who use shared drug injection materials with others. So, if you're at a super high risk because of the activities you engage in, PrEP could be a good idea. Obviously, again, healthcare professional is the person you would want to talk with in that. So in contrast to PrEP, there is also PEP, (laughs) or post-exposure prophylaxis. So that is typically given to an individual within 72 hours after a potential known HIV exposure. So for example, healthcare workers. Uh, Say you're a healthcare worker, giving treatment or any sort of health care to an HIV-positive individual. Um, there are sharps, right, needles or whatever for you're IVs. Wanting to, you're wanting to make sure the people treating it aren't winding up with it. Right. So let's say that, like, as was demonstrated in ER with Juliana Margulies' character, <laughs> Nurse Carol Hathaway, she accidentally got stuck, like, through her glove with a needle from a potentially HIV-positive or maybe he had tested positive or the the patient had tested positive individual. Oh, the drama. (laughs) You would then um, start on the PEP protocol, which is, uh, again, antiretrovirals given to individuals who have a known exposure to HIV within a certain, like basically a three-day window of time. So PEP is meant primarily for like one-time exposures and emergent situations, not as a general prevention. So sure. someone who might engage uh, more, in activities. More of, a, more of like a protocol. Well, yes, they're both protocols, but mm-hmm. someone who is engaging in activities on an ongoing basis where they're getting exposed to HIV potentially, PrEP might be the better option. Whereas someone where it's just kind of like a one-time thing or and, and it's known, then, then PEP might be the way to go. Um, <clears throat> so... An important sidebar here. I neglected to mention, and this was a big omission to cover in our previous two episodes, the incidence of an HIV-positive pregnant person passing HIV along to a fetus. Remember, we talked about Mm -hmm. blood transfusions and sexual activity, but we didn't talk about pregnancy and breastfeeding, and that was a big omission. So I want to kind of address that. So without any treatment... Any antiretroviral therapy, the risk of infection to a fetus from, I I don't want to say like the mother or the woman because that's super gendered. Um, Someone who identifies as a man could technically be a a 
parent to a biological don't smirk a biological parent i'm sorry (laughs) to a fetus okay just let me have that yes anyway the the incidence without any antiretroviral therapy is between 15 to 45 percent which puts it like just under like if if um blood transfusions and transfusions of blood products is like a 90 percent this is like the second tier okay Uh, it's pretty risky it's actually pretty risky blood trans i mean that's a that's a big one. You yes. have a one in ten chance to not get it. That's, yeah, that's that sucks. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. So, uh, and, but it makes sense, right? Sure. Because a fetus is literally part part of, of the your body tissue yeah. of the pregnant person, yeah. exactly. Which is why the pregnant person should be allowed to decide what happens to the tissue in their own body, right? Absolutely. Yes. So, however, with drug treatment for a person with HIV who is pregnant. If they're if they're going through like an ART protocol, um, which they would be doing regardless of pregnancy, right? If you're HIV sure. positive, you're undergoing the proper protocol. You're on the ART anyway. Um, so if if that's going on, uh, the HIV positive person is almost guaranteed to give birth to an HIV negative child. Yeah, that's. And here's here's how there's there's a couple of things, couple of caveats. Pregnancy planning is very important. Um, so if a if a couple is wanting to conceive, um, and one partner is positive, one partner is negative, um, reproductive assistance may be required. You know, to be able to have unprotected sex or as you know. Artificial insemination might be the way to go. Um, Anyway, or PrEP, using PrEP in the negative partner. And generally a C-section is used um, for, in many cases, uh, to avoid a large number of infections in, in fetuses or babies after birth is actually during birth. That when the baby, if the baby is given, is um, birthed through are you ready for my little, there's my little hand gesture? Um, <laughs> through the traditional Through way. the traditional, uh, yes, the so-called traditional method of uh, birth through the vaginal birth, then the baby is actually exposed to HIV from the vaginal secretions, sure. and that's how they can contract HIV. So a C-section can help avoid that, or hmm. testing to ensure that the, the parent's viral load is low enough that the risk of transmission is very low through vaginal birth, so... Also, breastfeeding can pass along HIV. So in general, HIV-positive parents are discouraged from breastfeeding their children. So, all right. Are you are you uh, happy we're done with the me trying not to be gendered discussion portion (laughs) of today's show? I'm always I'm always happy with that. Yeah. So, it is important to note. That uh, as of this time, we're recording this in June of 2019, and I'm saying that because hopefully this will all be a non-issue one day. But uh, not likely. Oh well. But. but as of now, there is no known cure, and there is no vaccine for HIV or AIDS. That's super important to know. However, the current treatments of antiretroviral therapy are so effective that they often serve as a so-called, quote, functional cure. Sure. Not a literal cure, which we'll get into in a second. But you can function. But You can have a job. You can... Well, beyond functioning, literal functioning, it's as though your body is clear of HIV, even though technically it's not. It's so little. 
It's not detectable and it's not transmissible, which, which is, is huge. Th- which is, yes, I was like, that's huge. a huge step in itself. But the huge caveat is that HIV positive people must remain on their drug regimens to continue that. If they were to go off their drugs, yeah, then not, it's it ju- the viral load is just going to yeah. increase. So, However, there is some promise that maybe eventually HIV will actually become curable, like literally curable through medical therapies or potentially maybe a vaccine one day. Further, there are two known cases of actual treatments with what is considered to be cures, two individuals who have been effectively cured of HIV. Both individuals have each individually been known as the, quote, Berlin patient. So the first Berlin patient, who still remains anonymous to this day, because the doctors or the medical workers um, working with these individuals obviously can't divulge no, the individuals' names. So not. they no. are only only if they choose to come out can they? Will, will they that be revealed? So the the first Berlin patient received antiretroviral therapy in the nineties. They then went off that medication during the same time period in the 90s, to this day, they still have an undetectable viral load. So remember how I said, if you go off your meds, mm-hmm. then your vi- that, that's typically what happens. But in this individual, it didn't. It did not. So they went off their meds, still no hmm. n- no detectable viral load. So, uh, so that's pretty remarkable. The second Berlin patient was later voluntarily identified. So he identified himself, came out as the Berlin patient, was a man named Timothy Ray Brown. So Brown tested positive for HIV in 1995, and he lived with the virus for years, actually, before he developed leukemia. Mm. So he got cancer, and he ended up getting a... <laughs> another sip. Not, no, he didn't get another sip. I'm getting another sip. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to say drum roll, please. Developed a hematop. Boietic stem cell transplant. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even going to try. Anyway, it was a type of bone marrow transplant. Okay? I love that. Okay. Excellent try, though. (laughs) Thank you. Was that 23 letters for one word? Too many. Too many. No (laughs) words should have that many letters. Um, That was to treat the leukemia. So they were like, you know, because it's pretty, it's not unusual for an individual to receive a bone marrow transplant for certain types of cancers, right? Right. By the way, go register on bethematch.org. You can volunteer to be a bone marrow transplant, sorry, a bone marrow donor, um, should somebody with your exact type come up and you do a little spit test, they have your data. So anyway, look into it. But so... He was getting this bone marrow transplant. I'm just going to say that. I know that's not exactly what it was, but anyway, I'm not going to try and pronounce that word again. (laughs) He's getting this thing. (laughs) Yes. But his doctors also were like, hey, you're also HIV positive. Let's see if we can do this. Let's see if we can select a very specific type of donor for you. So the donor they chose had a specific genetic mutation, like by their nature, just it was part of their genes that actually resisted being infected with HIV. They're more or less, quote, a naturally immune. And that's more when the, or less uh, effectively. And that's when the X-Men got <laughs> okay, started. Yeah. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> By stopping, so their genetic mutation stopped HIV from attaching to a healthy cell. So, like, basically a natural immunity. That was, um, uh, 
the sequel to a very great uh, zombie movie that we watched that uh, happened in London. Why can't I think of the name of it? 28 Days Later? Yes, thank you. 28 Weeks Later. Okay. Goes into that. The, Somebody's the main guy's, immune? The, the main guy's wife is immune. Gotcha. But gotcha. she can still pass it on. Oh. That's where gotcha. he makes That's where he makes a little mistake with a kiss. Uh-oh. Mm. It was for, only for, a kiss. It for, was only a kiss. For those of you who, 12 years later, who have not seen 28 Weeks Later, it is a good movie, though. 28 Weeks Later was very good. It was very scary. Very tense. It was very good, yes. Yes. And it was a little twist. 28 Days too. Later was just as good. Oh, that's what I meant. Oh, okay. I never finished watching 28 Weeks Later. That's right. You later. got really scared with 28 I did. Weeks Later. I did. It was really creepy. But anyway. So... They did this bone marrow transplant. Actually, they did two. So they did one initially, and then there was a recurrence of the leukemia. So they did another from the same donor. Uh, But after even the first one and continuing after, Brown, uh, uh, Timothy Ray Brown, he discontinued his drugs, discontinued antiretroviral therapy, and there was no longer any detectable HIV load in his blood or even in tissue from biopsies. Wow. So it seems like this bio or this transplant effectively cured him. So these transplants are not something that can be done with just anybody. Um, so because one could say, well, just pick all the people who are, you know, basically HIV resistant, get all their bone marrow, <laughs> you know, like or extract some sort of thing. Do this transplant for the HIV positive people, but the problem is these transplants are really high risk. Sure. So because yeah. antiretroviral therapy is so effective, there's no reason to go with all the extreme risks of this um, transplant when you can just treat it with ART. So that's why that's not the happening now, but it does offer some hope that further research might eventually lead to a cure. Although it is important to note that there is still a debate as to whether Timothy Ray Brown's cure is a, quote, sterilizing cure, meaning that Mm. there's literally no HIV in his body, or a functional cure, meaning it's just not detectable Hmm. on a day-to-day basis. So, Because the body is suppressing the virus on its own. So I mentioned this earlier, so we're going to go ahead and get into it because it deserves its own discussion. The cost of HIV treatment these meds have a long history of being incredibly high. So like I said, when AZT first came out, the first antiretroviral drug to be approved, it cost literally thousands of dollars a year. So this is the sort of eternal debate of pharmaceutical costs, right? Drug companies say, and it's not complete BS, that it is very expensive to develop a new drug, sure. which, yes, it is, understood. It takes 10 years. Yeah, yeah, right? Unfortunately, these companies often pass off the cost of that expense to the consumer, mm-hmm. who is, by definition, someone who needs the drug for treatment for an illness or a disease or sick. condition. Exactly. Now, in some countries, many of our listeners are in these countries, and God damn, we envy you so much. Uh, you have universal health care. <laughs> I think pills and you still have to pay for in some countries. In some cases, yeah. but in some cases it's, it's just so a cheap. copay. Yes, it's so cheap. Exactly. So um, so they have to pay a tiny bit out of pocket. Potentially. So there's either that, no cost or low cost for prescription right. drugs. And you get it at 
point of service what you need. Right. So here in the U.S., it works very differently. Uh, we actually went through this recently. Yes, we did. We so. hit our deductible, which is a certain amount of money we have to pay out of pocket before the insurance will kick in the rest. Yeah. Our international listeners are like, what? What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Um, except it doesn't count for drugs. Nope. Uh, we have co-pays and like certain negotiated amounts. Generics. Yeah, and generics. Exactly. Now, that's the thing. Um, so the one good thing for countries like ours is the so-called first-line therapy drugs, like the ART drugs given to people when they're diagnosed with HIV, have mostly had their patents lapse. Or some, sure. at least, have had their patents lapse. And so lower-cost generics are available. So generics, as well as market competition, have also helped keep costs low in developing and low-income countries where government initiatives, including, by the way, the U in the U.S. in the President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief, or PEPFAR, <laughs> which was started in 2003 by uh, GW. Interesting. So another thing. Um, have made current prices of drugs significantly lower than they used to be. So as of 2018, so just last year, the fixed dose combination, which is the single pill um, dose, was available in developing nations for as little as $75 per patient per year. Wow. Now, of course, these are developing nations, so $75 is a lot more than it is here. Sure. But still, it's a lot less, so uh, um, empirically. Ironically, in general, the higher the income in a country, the higher the cost for HIV treatment. So uh, sometimes generics can't be imported. We have a bit of an issue with that in the U.S., uh, resulting in having to use the more expensive original patented drugs, uh, and that results in a huge price disparity. For example, in 2016, the standard triple cocktail cost in generic form was $100 per patient per year. Like, basically dirt cheap here yeah, in the U.S., enough, right? less than $10 a month. Right. The cost... For the under-patent drugs, so in other words, when there was no generic, $30,000 per patient per year. I mean, that's... Ins- per year. That's, that's that's just too much. It is too much. And that, that 30000 figure, just to, just to throw this out, um, that is what half of all full-time working Americans make a year. $30,000. Half of what? You mean like an average? Half, half of people, half of mm-hmm. adults who work full-time in America oh, okay. make $30,000 a year or less. Oh, wow. So you're talking about oh half of our country's yeah. working force. If they all had to buy this drug, yeah. It would cost them literally everything. That's so unfair. It's, it's awful. So now <laughs> uh, some of the companies that hold the patents to these drugs that have to be bought under the the original patent, so the the brand name, right? The trade name. Uh, engage in a practice called evergreening, where this is something I had not heard of before, but they are able to, by various mechanisms of patent law, either like reapply or renew oh, I, yes. or buy out competitors yeah. and extend their original patent. Yeah, evergreen, beyond... evergreen is a nice polite term for that. Yeah, yeah. For right? fucking people over. Basically. So they keep exclusive rights to sure. sell the drugs in a specific territory for a significant longer time than, the, than originally ten, intended. Like, I only have two Lamborghinis and a private jet, 
I need three private jets and five Lamborghinis. Fucking corporate greed is going to kill us all. I fucking swear to God. Okay. Apparently, when I drink a 12%, I get mean. So, I I, tried... I'm backing away. (laughs) I tried to pin down the average cost of treating HIV today. Like I'm sure it's it's all over the place. It really is all over the map. Um, It just depends on who you are. Well, it varies based on the individual drugs being used... Um, which varies according to patient and location and everything else, the prescribing doctor. So I looked at the... Do you have insurance? Do you not have insurance? So I looked at the list of individual, because they're used in combination, so the individual drugs used in antiretroviral therapy. There's maybe two to three dozen. I didn't actually count them. But it's it's a decent list. And maybe a quarter to a third of them have generics. The rest don't. In the U.S., this is specifically talking about... So, um, so it depends on what your doctor prescribes. And I mean, what are you going to do if your doctor is like, look, this is the thing that's going to work for you or you try the generics, but they don't work. So like, what the fuck are you going to do? What's the price of your life? Is it $30,000 a year? I mean, for a lot of people it is. Well, that's and for a lot of people, thing. they would love it to be, but they can't afford it. And then uh, they die. That's a really shitty that's, thing. That's, that's so. the, uh, <laughs> Maybe that that should be what we rename our healthcare system. I would love to if I could afford it, <laughs> but I'll just die. It's pretty shitty here, Anyone and we're not we're not universal. We're not joking for no. because we do have quite a few international listeners, mm-hmm. most of whom live in economically developed countries. Every single economically developed country has some form of universal healthcare, except for us. Bernie, twenty twenty. <laughs> Anybody? Okay. Yeah. Somebody. Um, so. <laughs> somebody else. You talked, or you mentioned, and asked me if I was going to address one Martin Shkreli. Mm-hmm. I am going to right now. Nice. So, regarding Martin Shkreli. The most punchable face maybe in history. Also known as Pharma Bro. <laughs> Pharma Bro. I forgot about that. Yes, you're right. So, this guy jacked up the price of the drug Daraprim. So yes, that was it. So Daraprim is mm-hmm. a trade name. The drug name is <laughs> pyrimethamine. Sure. Pyrimethamine. Pyrimethamine. Okay. Pyromania. So, and it is used in combination with other drugs to treat a few different things, including like toxoplasmosis, a couple other things, but including also uh, preventing opportunistic pneumonia in people living with HIV or AIDS. So yeah, uh, uh, yeah. We, we wouldn't want to make that affordable. Well, so Shkreli's company, Turing Pharmaceuticals, like he literally owned, was the CEO of it, uh, purchased the U.S. marketing rights for Daraprim in 2015 and promptly jacked up the price from $13.50 per pill, which is still fucking That's expensive. That's expensive as fuck. To $750 That's, per yeah. pill. Jesus that is Christ. an increase of over 5,000%. Like, like that. And it's... It's fucking criminal. Like that's well, that, that, that's, so that's extortion. Shkreli, yes, it is. I agree. Shkreli defended the price hike by saying, "Are you ready for this?" It's oh no, I, I already know. Okay, I'm going to say it. Quote: yes. If there was a company that was selling an Aston Martin at the mm-hmm. price of a bicycle, and we buy that company and we ask to charge Toyota prices, I don't think that should be a crime. No, I, I remember that interview very well because that was his first real big time press. After this happened. With his punchable face. Yes. And he was literally comparing a drug you need to stay alive. To a luxury car. With a car. Yeah. 
But it's a great insight to how these type of people yeah. think. You mean That's assholes? That's literally... You mean absolute greedy. raging assholes? Greed. Yeah. I mean, absolute greedy people think. They literally think, like, it's the same thing. Right. This person could pay for this and live, or they could pay this much more and still live, just like a car. So fucked up. But that's, you know, he's a fucking huge asshole for doing that. But it was a peek behind the curtain, a little bit. Isn't capitalism just the best? It could be. No, it couldn't be. It, it humans, could be. humans suck. It could be with, with large restrictions, which is what we had on it for 40 years. Humans and just are shitty. 40 years since then. Humans are the worst. Yeah. Cat for president. <laughs> any cat. Any cat. Leopard for president. <laughs> so aside from being a raging asshole, it turns out that Shkreli was also a criminal. Yep. He committed securities fraud and ran a Ponzi scheme. That never so, happens. fortunately... <laughs> He was convicted of these charges and sentenced in March of last year, 2018, Mm -hmm. to seven years in federal prison. He has lost most of his assets, although he still owns enough stock in Turing to be worth tens of millions of dollars. And from what I could tell, the price of Daraprim has not dropped at all. Nope. It's still exactly where it is in spite of this dick. That's why he's still worth tens of millions of dollars. Exactly right. All right, so... Now we're out of that aside. Like so just like, <laughs> can crush. If I did ever, you finish? I did. Yes. There's a little bit in there. Yeah, okay. Can you drink it through the crush? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, let's get through this. All right. So I, I didn't realize how miserable of a topic this was going to be. But I should have realized that. I don't know. HIV is not fun it's to not. talk about. No, it isn't <laughs> at all. It's literally, I, and it's literally a fucking. We lived through a pandemic. Still we living through it. Living through it. Living through it. This is still going on. Yes. So now that we know how effectively HIV is able to be treated, um, and that <laughs> just totally misread that sentence. Anyway. That, that, the fact that we know that HIV can be effectively treated has not been lost on our collective culture. So everybody kind of knows right now, at least in like Western privileged society, that HIV is not, like I said before, it's not a death sentence. It's a livable chronic condition that, I mean, regardless of how much it costs, it's still livable. Um, we're going to get into the privilege of it in just a second, but uh, our paranoia and fear around HIV-positive people has definitely mellowed over the past couple it's decades. almost completely gone away. Well, plus, like, yeah. virtually everyone knows that, like, you're not going to get HIV from kissing somebody and shit like right. that, you know? Yeah. Nobody's afraid or to sit on a toilet, toilet. seat. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I shouldn't say nobody, but most people. However, it is important to remember that HIV is still an epidemic, very much still an epidemic, and is not over, not by a fucking long shot. Further, HIV has become more of an issue of privilege, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. as developed nations have better access to proper information, education, and treatment. We were just talking about a cocktail of drugs that cost, what was it? Seven hundred and some dollars a pill. Seven fifty a, a pill. Yeah. However, remember also I said ironically the higher income the, uh, a country has the in general the higher cost the treatment is. Mm-hmm. So like in in Africa it's like seventy five bucks a year mm-hmm. as opposed to over here. But anyway, according to the World Health Organization, as of two thousand fifteen. 
An estimated 36.7 million people worldwide are currently living with HIV. Oh. About 70% of whom live in sub-Saharan Africa. <sighs> wow. That is incredibly disproportionate. Holy shit. I mean, yes. Africa is an enormous it content. Is. But 70% uh, con- content. Continent. Content. <laughs> But we're not even talking about the entire continent. We're talking about sub-Saharan Africa. Wow. So, and that's 70% of the... HIV positive people, yes. Fuck. Uh, and we know HIV did originate. It did. In Africa. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but still. <clears throat> um, as of 2016, over 18 million of those living with HIV were receiving antiretroviral therapy. So roughly half. Which isn't all, Mm-mm. which means that a lot of people are still dying from that HIV, means, which we'll talk about. That means half are not getting it. Yes. The majority of HIV po- positive people uh, live in lower middle income countries. And as I said, 70% of that is in sub-Saharan Africa. So 1.8 million of those who are HIV positive are children. So there's almost 2 million oh, wow. kids living with HIV. Okay. And 91% of those children live in sub-Saharan Africa. And most of those kids who are HIV positive living in sub-Saharan Africa were infected with HIV through transmission from their HIV positive parent through pregnancy, Mm -hmm. childbirth, or breastfeeding. Now, that is understandable given that I imagine giving birth in sub-Saharan Africa, you may not get the same choices that you do in the Western world or developing nations, for example, um, uh, like getting ART beforehand yeah, that's, that's most or, likely not happening um having a choice to have a cesarean yeah, or the proper not, that's, testing that's definitely not happening either or or even just the option not to breastfeed you may just be like fuck i literally can't I, feed this child I if i don't to. breastfeed yeah. so if it's between like either i breastfeed my child and risk transmitting hiv or i don't breastfeed them and they starve to death i mean what the fuck Motherfucker, what the fuck? Literally. Exactly. Like, it's just, yes. it's, it's putting it's people a damned a, if you do, damned if you don't. It's putting people in a horrible position. Yeah. So, yes. Now, even in developed nations, HIV is still an issue of privilege <clears throat> and class. In the U.S., gay and bisexual men of all races are most effective, affected. However, increasingly, women of color are disproportionately, like, by a massive amount affected by HIV, more than 60% of all new HIV infections occur in African-American women. And just for the record, 60% of the population are not African-American women. Like they make up like, I I think I read like 14 or 15% of the population. So this is clearly disproportionate. I think it's actually probably lower than that. No, I I, I read it. Oh, okay. I was, I was going to say like around 10%. But, but um, and about Fuck. 15% of new HIV infections occur in Latinx women. Okay. Now, these populations are obviously disproportionately affected, likely due to poverty, fear of discrimination, actual discrimination, immigration status, and other social stigmas. It is, a, it is such an unfair situation to so many people who already struggle through so much shit and now have to worry on top of it, that they are so disproportionately affected by a, a, a disease that they, a, a virus that they may not even be able to afford yeah. treatment for. It's just the shittiest thing ever. So, an estimated 
35 million people worldwide have died of HIV and AIDS, far exceeding the death toll in literally any of the other disasters we've covered. And still, to this day, about 1 million people every year die of HIV-related causes. And that, my friends, is the end of our coverage, but certainly not the end of this disaster of HIV and AIDS. Wow. I, I, can't, I still can't believe it's that many people that it affects. Because you just really don't hear about it. Yeah, it, it is much less... It gets a lot less press than a lot of other shit now. It's almost no press. Here in the I mean, U.S., yeah. yeah. I mean, relative to when I was growing up, when it was in the news every day. But you know why? You know what the shitty thing is? Well, first of all, we have a treatment, so there is that. Sure. You know, that, that can't be, uh, you know, that's that's a huge leap forward. But the treatment is largely helping white people. <laughs> so, yay, the, the uh, we're all cured. Everything's fine, right? Um, no. Like seventy percent. Everything is everything is still kind of fucked. It's just not 70% really. Seventy percent of HIV positive people live in one area of the world. This is a problem. This is still a problem. This is a global problem. What affects one country affects us all. Like uh, part of being the global community and giving a shit about people who aren't like you. You know. I mean, that's really uh, now that we have. Uh, Gotten into well, we watched the first episode of Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. I have continued to watch. Yeah, I know. Not all the other ones, but the next two. Mm-hmm. Um, what 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 that miniseries brought out to me was this main who it was a real person. Mm-hmm. Are we getting into Chernobyl? Or are we doing no no? Just I'm I'm gonna make a connection. Yeah, come back around. Yes, I will. Okay. Um. He, like, through that miniseries, you could tell, like, he really understood what the gravity of this situation. He was like, literally, the world is at stake Mm -hmm. if we don't fix this thing. There doesn't seem to be the same kind of... Concern? Yes, with... Honestly, in my opinion, I think it's because, at least here in the U.S., I don't want to, like, indict other countries on this. And I, I know that this will be met with various degrees of agreement or disagreement but unless something is affecting straight white not poor people in america like we just forget it is an issue like we really fucking do and it's it's or, or so just, shitty or just never even know that it's an issue exactly <laughs> that's a thing like, too like how many people in america actually give a shit about sub-saharan africa at all like the fact that there anybody who lives in that area do we care how many people we still have fucking KKK rallies in the US? <laughs> we have them not too far from here. Unfortunately, <laughs> we do. isn't like the headquarters. In yes, the state? it's like an hour away. It's bullshit, yeah. man. It's I, not, just... not of the state. I believe the national chapter headquarters. No, is... I mean, in our state. Yes, for the KKK. The national headquarters. Yeah. Yes, that's bullshit. Yeah, it's those, up. those fuckers. Oh, my God. Like, God. Oh, goddamn. Okay. I'm too far into this 12% to make sense. (laughs) It's just really infuriating that anybody thinks that one life is more valuable than another and just absolutely the worst thing ever. And ultimately... 
our our overall disaster that we could cover on all bad things is humanity. Humanity <laughs> sure. is the biggest disaster of all maybe time. We'll, maybe we'll <laughs> do that with a... Uh, mm. um, our last episode. No, no, no. We'll do that with <laughs> a... Um, yeah, a banter sode. Oh, maybe. We'll, we'll just yeah, because we can just go off in fifty different directions, and it won't matter because we're not tethered to a story. That's true. <laughs> but I was really, I was really glad we covered this. This is what I wanted to do for our one hundredth episode. It, it is something I've been interested in for a really long time. I know it sounds super stupid and silly, but because of the. Um, because of how I was raised to be very um, LGBT and Q plus intolerant, uh, part of what kind of helped bring me around, and again, I know this might sound kind of silly, is media and specifically like um, the TV show Queer as Folk, <clears throat> which had a specific storyline about an HIV positive main character. And that made me just super, it just helped open my eyes to like, there are people not like you in this world and you need to be concerned about people not like you too, because they're human too. And that's all incredibly important just to be a goddamn decent human being mm-hmm. in this world. Like this shit matters. It, if Literally, if it affects somebody in sub-Saharan Africa, it affects all of humanity and our humanity is shown what either shown or shown to be or not non-existent. Shown. Yes. Yeah. Um, based I, on ask, our reactions. Ask, a, ask Puerto Rico about the United oh, States God. humanity, which Puerto Rico is a part of the United oh, States. God. But anyway, on that note. Mm. So anyway, um, may I try another? <laughs> yes. Yeah, hey, Oh wow. You're like more than halfway through this thing. <laughs> no. not, I'm not more than, I'm I'm shy of halfway through the I top percenter. Okay. You can it's very good. It's too drinkable. Why the fuck do they make high gravity beers so drinkable? What the fuck is your problem, man? You're right, I am kinda of halfway more than halfway through it. And that is a good place to leave off. Remember, because we didn't mention this earlier. Yes. Follow us. Oh yeah. At at All Bad Things Pod, Twitter, Insta, Facebook. Oh, oh, our discussion group is working. <laughs> I'm so fucking excited I figured it out. If you ask to join the All Bad Things discussion group. Would you like to very quickly tell people what the problem was? No. Okay. I don't remember. May I tell people what the problem was? You were logged in as Rachel Moniger, not All Bad Things. You just said my last name on the air. Now we're going to have to edit that out. That's true, but everybody knows your last name because that's the... (laughs) No, we aren't because everyone sees me on Facebook and at least now they know how to pronounce it. It's okay. Yeah. Can I say your last name? Sure. David St. Louis? I think everybody knew that. Probably. Yeah. Well, on Twitter especially. That's what my, <laughs> yes, that's what my name is. It's my actual name. Mm. But if you look for for my name, anything that is going to come it's up for the actor, first... It's a weird right? Well, he comes up sometimes. weird. The city of St. Louis comes up as like the and first... And David's a really common yeah. first name. So If your name was like um, Engelbert St. Louis... <laughs> Engelbert Humperdinck? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Just trying yes. to think of the weirdest. Well, that's that's a name. very that's a very specific name. It is. <laughs> but all on, right. on all of these notes. Yes. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week. And thank you for hanging in through episode 100 and beyond. And know your exits. <laughs> <laughs>